Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Now, Jan, I have an unusual situation today. I have one book and mm-hmm. two authors. Moreover, these authors are partners in life as well as in this collaboration over the book. Graham Simpson and Anne Buse, uh, their novel, Two Steps Forward, is set against the Camino pilgrimage route in Spain and France. And it could have quite well have resulted in the occasional one step back if they weren't such a talented pair. So, Graham and Anne, welcome back to 3CR. Great to talk to you again. Likewise. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to ask this. Writing in collaboration? There must have been challenges there. I think it was lots of fun. Um, we loved the walk, and so the opportunity to write about it and keep going back and revisiting our walk and what we were going to put in. The hardest bit was actually what to leave out, like the places that we had such a fabulous time in. I wanted to put them all in. There wasn't enough pages. So emphasising that this is a novel, not a, not a memoir. So this we were using the... Um, the Camino de Santiago, which we had walked as a, a backdrop to the novel. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was terrific to be revisiting those things. But your personal experience would have informed the sorts of characters you developed and the settings and situations. Look, we walked it twice and, and a very long version of it on both occasions. So there was plenty of opportunities um, to meet lots of interesting people and have lots of interesting um, things happen to us, which inspired But in terms of the collaboration over the writing of a creative novel, there would have had to have been some sort of agreement about characters, about situations, so that the uh, two storylines, perhaps just to explain, you've got two characters telling this story, Martin and Zoe, um, and... uh, Presumably, Martin was written by Graham, Zoe by Anne. Would I be correct there? Well, only because we told you before. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, no, look, look, it's a a reasonable guess. But look, there are relatively few collaborations in fiction. When when you see two novelists, you know, two names on the... Um, on the novel, quite often it's these days it's because James Patterson has basically subcontracted somebody, and that you know it's a hierarchical sort of relationship that's going on there rather than a natural collaboration. Nikki French is the, the the massive exception because it's a married couple working as we do, but I don't think Nikki French writes um, that husband and wife write individual characters at all. I think that they just um, they just collaborate on the whole thing. Um, so it's. But the novel is written in alternating chapters. So given you have a Martin chapter and a Zoe chapter and a Martin and a Zoe, it's a reasonable assumption on your part, and quite correct, that um, that we wrote one each. But look, we're both planners or plotters rather than pantsers. We don't write by the seat of our pants. We both plan first. And for me, that's something that came out of a screenwriting background. You do the cards. You lay it out scene by scene. And it was very important for us to have a pretty clear idea of the plot and the characters before we embarked on writing alternating chapters. But then, yes, you've got characters that move between the storylines, the ancillary characters. I mean, Jim first meets Zoe, but is a friend of Martin. We've got Bernard, etc., that, that they come across. There would have to have been an understanding and agreement about the nature of these ancillary characters so that they could fit into both storylines. Well, 
I think the really interesting thing, we're both very interested in why people do things and the the development of character. So we planned the characters, not just Zoe and Martin, but all of the others. But then there's the aspect of, because Zoe is very different to Martin, she sees Bernard quite differently to how Martin does. And we wanted to really show that about how the world can be seen differently in different circumstances and through different eyes. Yeah, Bernard is is a a young German man who they meet walking the Camino, um, who who is you know, very, very helpful to Zoe, but Martin regards him as a, um, yeah, an opinionated, well, German stereotype. Well, he's, he's very blunt in his outlook. But this leads us then to the two characters, Martin and Zoe. Martin is an engineer, British, divorced, organised, uh, in lieu of carrying a... Um, Oh, well, what have I written there? I can't even read my yeah, own backpack writing. Backpack will be the word. <laughs> In lieu of a backpack, but he's organised with his um, sort of a vehicle, uh, etc. A very um, organised perspective. Zoe, Californian, recently widowed, two daughters at home, but her temperament is more artistic. So these are the two characters that you've got that sets up the tension. We have an optimistic, um, somewhat flaky uh, Californian um, who who walks off on the Camino with virtually no preparation. And we have a doer Englishman, who I didn't have any trouble writing at all, um, who who sets up with a great deal of preparation. Look, part of this was to, you know, to create two contrasting characters, but also this is an armchair journey for a lot of people who are going to read this novel. And we wanted to show the two ways, if you like, the extremes of how you might walk the Camino. So if they're imagining themselves doing it, they can say, well, OK, here I could do a Zoe, but no, no, well, you actually can eat a three-star restaurant if you want to. Well, that's Martin for you. But this also leads to this notion of the romantic tension that we get in the novel, which is... In many ways, the undercurrent uh, that goes right the way through the book. So these extremes, these polarised extremes, um, created deliberately? Well, I I was coming off writing The Rosie Project at this point, so I'd immersed myself in the romantic comedy genre, initially as a screenplay, because romantic comedies are really much more about films than they are about novels. And this idea of alternating voices gave us a real chance to handle the misunderstandings that are so much a part of romantic comedies and why it's a film vehicle. Because you, you know, on a screen you can cut between the two characters and watch what they're doing. Not so easy to do in a novel unless you actually have two separate voices. So it gave us a vehicle for uh, a romantic comedy. We originally envisaged this as being a romantic comedy. Now... I would call it, or I think the Australian called it, um, a hero's journey or two hero's journeys, but with a romantic comedy subplot. I think that's the way readers are coming to it. Well, the misunderstandings then permeate the whole plot line. Things are misunderstood or misheard. Things are reported by other people. Um, Disasters occur along the way. So you've outlined all of these to interrupt the romance, shall we say, or the consummation of the romance. Well, this is a trope of romantic comedy. You know, all romantic comedies, virtually. Somebody knocks on the door just as they were about to explain things or whatever. There's some re- yeah, The romantic comedy, the whole idea of it is that they should, of course, we can see that they should be falling in love and getting on with the relationship, but it keeps getting interrupted and misunderstandings are the classic, classical um, you know, way of doing this comedically. And because they're mature age love story... We really wanted it to be be realistic, and therefore the journey ha- 
became the dominant thing because there was stuff they had to deal with first before they were ready for love. Well, this gets us into then the actual Camino itself and discovering oneself. There are lots of cliched tropes about the Camino and why people walk it. And um, in the first instance, Zoe has been recently widowed and one would think that she's coming to terms with uh, the loss of her husband, which she is, but there's still an agenda behind that as well with her mother. Yeah, look, I think people walk in real life, people walk the Camino for all sorts of reasons, not least being just a physical challenge, um, something to do, a great way to have a holiday where you're going to see different places and keeping fit and you need to eat and drink as much as you like because you're walking you know, 20 or 30 kilometres each day, right through to a genuine uh, Catholic spiritual experience because, of course, it's originally a Catholic pilgrimage. Um, and, and we wanted through our, our main characters um, and through some of the subsidiary characters to explore some of the reasons that people would walk. But, but again, when, when you're writing a story like this, Hero's Journey stuff, usually the reason that somebody has externally for taking on you know, the challenge is different from what their, their inner need is. And in both Zoe's and Martin's cases, they have unrecognised things they need to deal with. Yes, and they're coming to terms with that, and that sort of becomes apparent uh, on the Camino. Um, I mean, Zoe has to deal with her uh, mother and the lack of communication in uh, before her mother uh, died, which is years in the past. So we still carry a load of baggage with us over time. Uh, look, I think that's as a psychiatrist, I know that how much that is true. Um, and with grief, it's often things from the past that come up and are awoken by a new grief. Uh, and the thing about the midlife kind of aspect of it is, who am I and where have I been? And is that really what I wanted for my life and this chance to reinvent yourself? And we've got so much more time these days in our lives and extended mm. life to, in some ways because of modern medicine to look at these things and address these things. Mm. There's all sorts of cliches associated with the Camino. The Camino walks you. The Camino will change you. But uh, there's also a realism about the Camino because I was shocked. I mean, instead of penance and redemption, there's a lot of hanky-panky going on on the Camino. What on earth is happening here? Well, there's a memoir called Sinning Across Spain. So, um, yes, uh, particularly the Camino Francis, where the Camino Francis is the traditional one, the 800 kilometres, which is not the one that this one follows, though they all finish in Santiago. Um, but there are two groups. There's the younger group who don't have the responsibilities, who can don't have a job and kids, so can get through, you know, 33 days it takes for the, the traditional one, or roundabout. Um, and then there's the older group, the, the 45-year-olds whose kids are off their hands and um, can well, get the time 55. off. Well, 55. Or 55, yeah. Well, Zoe has her children very young <laughs> but yeah, True, yeah. And, and people's own temperaments mean they behave in different ways the brazilian the collective of the brazilian women who've all got different agenda and such like and and the way they behave the other interesting thing is then the resolution to this tale now we can't give it away but one would romantically expect and presumably in the film script that's going to be uh, made of this um, we have Zoe and Martin getting together, the lights come up in the theatre and everyone's quite happy. How did you manage to sort of find an ending that wasn't sort of predictable? Well, and, and by the way, you, um, Ellen DeGeneres and Fox Searchlight have optioned it so that the, the 
possibility of a of a movie is is quite is quite real. Um, look, God, I think I think we know that first thoughts are often cliches. So you start off with an ending that's exactly what you expect it's going to be, and then you you kick it around. I mean, it's a creative process, and it's not just for the ending; it's for every scene in the book. Um, how do you make this a little unexpected, a little different, particularly when you're looking for something comedic? But you know, even if you're looking to to keep people on the edge of their seats, you want to you know, turn the tables. Um, but look, the characters had yeah. to be true to themselves at the yeah. end of the day too, yeah. and, and the hero's journey and, and all they went through in their personal lives to get to the end had to read right as well. So yeah. you, you had to look at and say, um, what is this person's need? What have they not been able to do, for example? So at the very end of the journey, we need to show you know, Zoe had to do what she had to do, Martin had to do what he had been unable to do, and, well, and that gives you the ending in some ways. Yes, they both managed to find a future for themselves, which is as important as um, the potential of a couple getting together or anything like that. And so there's a there's a tension there as well. And look, some of these things come come subconsciously. Um, you know, a lot of writing comes that way, particularly the thematic stuff in writing. You know, what's it really about? And you don't know that sometimes until you've written the whole story. And the ending, in fact, after we've written the ending, we said, of course, that's what Zoe needed to do. <laughs> so we go back and we set that up appropriately. And you know, this is craft stuff in an earlier chapter, so that we now know that this is the thing that Zoe needs to find you know, metaphorically. Well, the book is called Two Steps Forward. They've managed to avoid, Graham and Anne have managed to avoid the one step back. Um, Graham Simpson and Boost, and it's a text publication release. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank now, you. Thanks, I am going to um, quickly ask Michelle de Kretzer to come across to the microphone because we need to hear from her. Now, Michelle de Kretzer is now a Sydney resident um, and writes of George's mother wearing a dark Melbourne dress. Wow, Michelle de Kretzer, we're all colour and movement here and you're in the black. I know. Well, I was just hoping to blend in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you've moved uh, on, obviously, oh, since absolutely, then. yes. yes. And, and Sydney, <laughs> right. In your book, there is a lot of upheaval in the families with divorces and deaths, but you, you also refer, <laughs> refer to other incidents in other countries, involving deaths through the book. Uh, France, I didn't know what happened there. Well, John, nor did I. Um, so this is a reference to the um, 1961 massacre of Algerians right in the heart of Paris uh, on the banks of the Seine. And I had lived in Paris and I had studied French literature and French history and so on. And I had no idea that this had happened until I saw a, a television documentary in, I think it was 1993, um, about this this incident. Um, there is now, in the early 2000s, a, a little plaque yeah. up on the bridge um, on the Pont Saint-Michel that, that commemorates this. So a, a French killing or massacre that we didn't know about. And, of course, uh, Michelle de Kretz was taken back to Sri Lanka. We often go back to Sri Lanka through your books. But uh, what about the uprising there? Well, um, that was... So I describe a... a it's fictionalised, but it's based on a real um, incident that happened in 1977 in a city called Anurajapura. 
where there were uh, Tamils were set upon and massacred for various mm. reasons. Um, and these are incidents that are not well known outside the places in which they happened. And they, well, you know, I think part of writing for me... Um, the purpose of it is to bear witness to what is not. So did you want the reader to learn about this or did you actually want characters in your book to have more interesting backgrounds? Oh, well, I suppose both. But, I mean, it's a lot of people in Australia in particular um, come here, are here, because of this kind of violence that's going on elsewhere in the world. So these traumatic events are very much part of Australian memory. And I mean, that collision between the individual and history has interested me mm. right from my first novel. Um, yes, the uh, Hamilton which, case, which was... Well, no, the, the Rose Grove, which Rose was set in revolution. revolutionary yes. France. So it's something that appears in all my books and I just think I am I am interested in that um, how the individual is produced by and fits into and is changed by the larger picture of the history. Yeah. Now, now Michelle's new book is called The Life to Come and that's what I think you know people were thinking of moving to Australia having this better bigger life but a better life in Australia or a better life changing states within Australia or even coming to the city or a better life even changing your name as yeah. Pippa did. Why did you change your name? Oh, Pippa is a character who uh, is, a, is a writer, a novelist, and Pippa was born Narelle, um, but she knew from a very early age that she wanted to be a novelist and on her 18th birthday she changes her name to Pippa because she says to her friend that no one called Norelle is ever going to win the booker. <laughs> and she's determined that she is going to. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I laughed out loud through so much of this book, basically not because of the, those horrific incidents we spoke about, yes. but because of the way you had depicted the writing and publishing industry here oh, in Australia. <laughs> okay. And other things I hope made you laugh as well. <laughs> yes, but centrally this one. Now, of course, you, you sort of very early on state that um, it's quite easy to get an English major without reading any Australian books. Yes. Well, I think that is still the case. Mm. And you bring George, one of the first characters we meet, up to uh, Sydney from Melbourne. What, what, was his, what was he doing in his PhD? Well, George wants to write a PhD on, on Australian literature and he goes to a, an unnamed university in Melbourne um, where there is great difficulty finding a supervisor who has actually read an Australian book to, <laughs> to direct his thesis. Um, and then he's given a whole long list of French and German philosophers and social theorists to read. And after he tries this for a while and then he decides that he doesn't really uh, enjoy it. And so he moves up to Sydney where he reads novels and he reads 
books, scholarly books about novels, and then he is happy. The, he, absolutely. And of course, with most Australians, we are most what they're told to read as Australian writers is Patrick White and Christina Steed. Yes, <laughs> yes. About it. But now while he's lecturing, and uh, I must say that George is the true academic, at night he's writing the definitive novel yes. by hand writing it, not because he wants to get that natural suffering coming through. Oh. Anyway, he's also lecturing and he encourages Pippa, one of his students, by giving her a credit but really isn't at all keen on her writing things it's, or her English really for that matter. But Pippa then goes on to get a residency in Paris. Yes. You did that too, didn't you? No, no, no. I've never done that. Oh, okay. She's sees Pippa sees other characters, uh, other people's lives as fodder, character fodder really, doesn't mm, she? Which, she does tend to do that. Mm, Not um, always, but... But often, I mean, she tends to write about people whom she considers not terribly important, so she feels mm, able that she to, can use their that lives. She can and use she their calls lives. it a fiction, so that she she sort of yeah. says they shouldn't be hurt. Yes, exactly. Mm. Now, uh, of course, there's also the writers' festival, and there's the panel. <laughs> Right. Well, I think anyone who's been a writer at a writer's festival has had this experience of being put on a panel with two or three other writers, um, all of whom have written quite different kinds of books. Um, But, you know, a a desperate uh, festival programmer has found some far-fetched theme that can link, vaguely link all these books and then you're expected to speak on this topic or, or not speak because one person, <laughs> of course, just, you know, you're given 10 or 15 minutes and someone inevitably speaks for 30. Oh, look, it just goes on. Look, it's just it, it that laughed out loud, especially on the themes that they spoke about. But then there's uh, sort of Pippa thinking, well, one of the reasons to write a book is to buy uh, to get a new book, uh, a new dress for the uh, book launch. <laughs> Yes, well. (laughs) And then having an agent. The Uh name of that agent? Uh, Well, her Twitter handle is Gloria Hallelujah. Oh, oh, yes. Uh And talking about Twitter, a few things about, you know, necessity to be on Twitter or to blog to increase your social media success. And we have George. We're back to George again, who won't give personal interviews and says... Twitter's all about drawing attention to yourself while pretending to draw attention to something else. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of truth in George. <laughs> ah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> now, through the book, you quoted, oh, you sort of mentioned an author called Alice Munro. Now, I must admit, I hadn't heard of Alice Munro, and I know I should have because I've been so busy reading Australian books. Oh, good for you. (laughs) So just tell us, Alice Munro. Oh, well, um, Alice Munro is um, uh, best known for her short stories. Mm. I think she has written a novel or or maybe even two. Um, But um, I know her as a short story writer, and um, I guess that when I was younger... Um, I used to read her very um, 
assiduously for her her wonderful portrayal of the interior lives of women and girls. Mm. Mm. Um, And that is what she is rightly acclaimed for. But as I've grown older and also since I've become a writer, what interests me more and more is what Monroe does with structure and temporality. So in the space of a short story, I mean, she writes long short stories, Mm. you know, six, seven thousand words, but that's still not very many words. But she will often show us a character at different stages of her life. uh, And, you know, just cut between a character at at the, uh, let's say, in her 60s, and then we see her when she's 12, and then we see her when she's 30. And by doing this, she shows us a character um, through different people's eyes and also um, why the 60-year-old woman is the way mm. she is. It's because of things that have happened to her earlier on. So she manages to put a great deal of depth of character by doing that into a very compressed space, which is a wonderful thing. And that's what gives her stories that depth, I think. Well, that's, yes. And she won the Nobel Prize for this type yes, of literature. Indeed. Moving um, short stories between uh, time and space. And this is what I, I saw your, your book doing, uh, The Life of, to Come. You actually have five stories in here. Yes, the five episodes. Um, uh, which are all self-contained and could yes. be read completely independently of one another. But there are, there are also links between them. There is Pippa is a character in all of them, although sometimes only very fleetingly uh, and in a very minor key. And in one of the uh, episodes, she is the main character. So I rather like the idea of writing a novel in which the main character is not really a main character because you remember others, um, I hope, quite as vividly as you do Pippa. Look, um, I want to get uh, Michelle de Kretzer to read a little bit about her book and I'm going to choose the the middle chapter called uh, The Museum of Romantic Life. And here we have Celeste. Now, Celeste's father was killed during that Algerian time in France. The mother remarried, came out to Perth. And then Celeste came back to Paris to live. And, look, she's having this affair between five and seven on every on a Tuesday. Mm. Um, but the, she finds there isn't enough time for sex and talk, mm. <laughs> which is just lovely. But... Here we have now, this is Michelle de Kretzer talking about Celeste looking at a couple in Paris. One of those couples that populate Paris, a man with silvery swept back hair, a worshipful thin-wristed young woman. A cardigan in a docile colour was draped around her shoulders. Her hips, streamlined in cunningly cut linen, nevertheless promised the production of sturdy airs in a selfless perpetuation of family and nation. Anyone could see that she would prepare a light, delicious, savoury flan that evening. While trimming half a kilo of slender green beans, she had risen at dawn to haggle over them in a market, she would comment intelligently on the latest developments in the Middle East. After supper, it would be time to draft the next chapter of her doctoral thesis, write the footnotes for the man's forthcoming book, put on a load of his washing and practised the pelvic floor exercises that maintained his sexual pleasure at an optimum. 
Michelle de Kretz, just absolutely beautiful writing. <clears throat> now, there's other pieces in here, and it all, well, this Celeste, who, who her lover is um, married to a chemist, and this, I love this. The chemist had bought her perfume, and the perfume smelt like chrysanthemums that had stood too long in graveyards before drying down to sugar coated mothballs. Mm-hmm. And when this music was mis- when this perfume was mixed with fresh air, the addition of fresh air turned it into unwashed feet. <laughs> Some of the, the, the oh look, it's just great. I'm really worried about um, Celeste though that her mother is coming back to talk to her, and this is what I think is really wonderful about this. They all connect Pippa. We mm-hmm. get the life and time of Pippa and the stories about her, but we also get. Um, all of these characters that we wonder what happened to. Oh, and their life to come outside your book. <laughs> thank you. So, Michelle okay. de Kretzer, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us another wonderful, wonderful book. And it's published by Alan and Onion. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting those words mixed up. <clears throat> Layers behind thank that one. Layers behind <laughs> that one. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Okay, so that's it for Published or Not today. And listen in next week.